Please be seated. For those that are wondering, I go back to work next week. Um, you know, pastors work one day a week, and I've, uh, you know, and I've not even been doing that all summer. But um, so, uh, no, but I've been looking forward to this day and next week, but I've been looking forward to this day for uh, some time, uh, uh, even more acutely in, in recent days. Uh, we are privileged this morning to have with us uh, Bob Shogren, his, his wife, Debbie, as Bob is uh, going to bring the word to us. I first became familiar with Bob uh, a little over 20 years ago. Uh, I, I, somebody, I don't even remember how, I, I came across uh, uh, some videos, probably through um, my involvement um, uh, with the U.S. Center for World Missions or um, the Perspectives course. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, somebody had this unique idea of comparing Christians to cats and dogs and cat and dog theology. I was so intrigued that I reached out to see if I could get the Cat and Dog Theology Conference of the church I was serving at the time. Um, Bob was busy, I guess. Uh, they sent his partner, uh, and Gerald Robinson, who was wonderful. And I had Gerald uh, to each of the churches I've served since, including those of you who have been here for a while. You may remember we had a Cat and Th Dog Theology Missions Conference uh, probably almost 10 years ago. Uh, that was Gerald Robinson. But the Cat and Dog Theology was Bob Shogren who, who developed that. And I had seen his videos. I'd learned. I was blessed by it. A couple of years ago, uh, through uh, Chad Williamson, who has a long relationship with uh, the Shogrens, I actually met Bob for the first time, and it's been my privilege to not only uh, be blessed by his ministry, uh, but to now have him as a friend. And so uh, that doubles my delight in having him come to bring the word uh, to us this morning. I'm not going to go into details in terms of the ministry Bob does. I imagine that's going to come out from him. If not, it'll be, he'll be available on display um, out in the commons afterwards. Uh, to sign, uh, 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 to, to just get to, to, to connect and to, uh, to talk and feedback. Now, for those of you who are used to what we normally do, um, this is not going to be it um, today. Um, so uh, my expectation is uh, the fire hose will be opened up uh, and you may feel a little overwhelmed. That's okay. That's why I want him here. Uh, because he has a contagious passion for the glory of God and a message that is prophetic to challenge us to reorient ourselves to that primary purpose of our lives. And I haven't heard any, uh, many that are able to do it, uh, to present it, and to challenge as well. So, Bob, if you come and share God's word and message to us. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Bob, B-O-B, B-O-B, forwards, backwards, can't screw it up. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, when Dennis and I first uh, talked to each other, we found out that he coached the football team from my high school. Not while I was at school. Not while I was at school. <laughs> but we had that connection as well. Uh, and so it's been fun getting to know him as uh, a friend, uh, as well as a colleague. This morning's message is titled, One Degree Off. One Degree Off. We're going to learn about that in just a second, uh, but before we even do that, I want to introduce you to my crazy family. I've got four crazy kids, uh, Luke, Elise, Abby, and Hunter from left to right, and, uh, and so they are, three of them live in the Richmond area, one of them lives in the Middle East and works for the Clarkstons, actually. That's the one on the left on the far, Luke. Uh, he and his wife and kids are actually here today. Luke, where are you? I saw you come in right over there. And so uh, they work over there with the Clarkstons. Uh, they're all married, and they have all are starting to have our grandkids. It's about time. And, and so uh, we were glad that they were there. 
And Tim, why is my remote not working? Any idea? Can I just do this with the hand? Use your finger on the iPad. Okay. I'm trying. Try that. There we go. So that's them. Anyhow, let's move on. See if this works. Nope. Help me out, Tim. Anyhow, I need a little, I need two volunteers. I need two volunteers. One may be, I don't know, six years of age. One may be nine years of age who might be sitting with their Mimi. Is there anybody in the audience? Oh, well, come on up. And your name, young lady? Layla. Layla. And your name, young lady? Kezzy. Come on over here. I need you right here. We got it working. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Okay. Kezzy. I need you to walk straight to that door. See those two doors on the left? I need you to walk to the one on the right. Okay, can you do that? Okay, just walk straight there where that, where that man that just talked to me is. Keep going there. She is walking to the very back. Look at that. She is doing it in style, grace, just beautiful. She must have a beautiful mother and a wonderful father. And, uh, and you, my dear, you're going to go one degree off. You know that in a circle, there's 360 degrees. You're going to go one degree just to the right. So you're going to walk one degree off. You're going to go just to the right of that man, okay? Can you do that? Just like, yeah, just walk. Just, just like, there you go. Just a little bit to the right. There you go. Little bit there. Look at that style, beauty, all put together in one package. That girl is just going to have tons of young men going after her. Great job. Come on back. Thanks. Come back to Mimi. Okay, they walked one degree off, but they still made it to the back door, right? But it was one degree off. All right, one degree is not a big deal. Well, listen, if you were to fly around the world and be one degree off, guess how much you'd miss your airport by? 500 miles. 500 miles. If you were to fly to the moon and you were one degree off, you'd miss the moon by 4,169 miles. If you're to one degree off and you were to go to the sun, guess how much you'd miss it by? 1.6 million miles. And if you were to go to the nearest star and you were just one degree off, you'd miss it by 411 billion, with a B, miles. One degree off over a very short distance is not a big deal, but one degree off over a very long distance brings about disastrous results. Understand the basic premise, yes or no? Okay, very simple. The church is 2,000 years old. What if the church started one degree off? What if the church started one degree off? off. Hey, the disciples have their theology correct when they started their ministries, yes or no? No. No. Acts chapter 1 verse 6, the disciples then came to Jesus, this is after the resurrection, and he's about to ascend, and he said, Jesus, is it that this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now do we get to kick the Romans out? That's what they were worried about, starting their ministry. They thought this is about a political revolution, not a spiritual revolution. Oh, they were kind of missing it. And then after that, uh, Peter had to have a vision. And in that vision, he had to be told, it's okay to go to the Gentiles. It's okay. Don't worry about it. 
So all of a sudden, Peter starts going to the Gentiles. He was writing off 98% of the entire world, starting his ministry off. Huh. And then when the disciples heard about what Peter had done, they began the impeachment proceedings. And they said, you're no longer allowed to be our president. And they said these words. The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also would receive the word of God. So Peter went up to Jerusalem. The circumcised believers criticized them and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. Peter, you're breaking all the rules. They had a bunch of rules they had to keep. They didn't know they had freedom in Christ. In the very beginning, they were more than one degree off. In fact, eventually, Peter tells them the whole story. When they heard this, Peter's story, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life as if it's something that was totally brand new. Oh my goodness, brand new? Shouldn't they have known this? I mean, Jesus gave them the keys of the kingdom to start the whole ministry, and they, they were writing off 98% of the world. Have there been consequences of them starting off? Oh, absolutely. You know, we started with the Catholics, but then we broke off from there to the Greek Orthodox, but then they weren't happy with that, so we got the Protestants out of that, and then from the Protestants, we got the Episcopalians, the Anglicans, the Methodists, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, and, and a whole smorgasbord of different denominations. I want to challenge you, this church started at least one degree off. Well, could they have been off on the basics? What about the very basics? Could they have been off on the basics? If I were to ask you, why did Christ come to the earth to die? Okay, this is the audience participation time, okay? This is where I need you. Why did he come to the earth? Someone tell me. To save us from our sins. He came to die for our sins, absolutely. That's not incorrect, but I want to challenge you. It's incomplete. Have you seen my message before? I mean, you said it perfectly at the right time. Good job. All right, here we go. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For in him, in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself, reconcile. Now, when I was a child growing up in a church, God reconciled people, Right? That's who he reconciles. He reconciles us people. And I would have said, I would have thought the text would have said to reconcile all people, but that is not what the text says. What does it say? He came to reconcile all what? Things? Young man, what's a thing? Name anything on this earth. The earth. The earth. Very good. The earth is a thing. What are other things? Trees. What else? Animals, chair, the carpet. He came to reconcile all things. This is Paul. This isn't me. Things, whether on earth or in heaven. He came, he came to reconcile the trees, the plants, the animals, the waters, the mountains. He came, and things in heaven, asteroids, stars, comets. The sun, the moon, why would he do that? Well, because in, uh, for, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Making peace through the blood of the cross. He died for those trees out there. 
That's what the text seems to be saying. Why? Well, we all know that when Adam and Eve sinned, there were four consequences. The, the uh, snake had to crawl, and the woman had pain in childbirth, and the men would have problem with their work, and there was a fourth curse. Anybody remember it? Cursed is the ground. Cursed is the ground. There were four curses. The fourth one, cursed is the ground. And when the ground is cursed, what happened? I want to challenge you that the trees right out there do not radiate the glory of God. They did before Adam and Eve sinned. They're in a state of cursedness. They're in a state of cursedness. Those, the, the flaunt or whatever is over there, the, the trees, the shrubs, they're not radiating the glory of God the way they did before Adam and Eve sinned. Why? They're in a state that's been cursed. Cursed. Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed means to inflict harm. There's something happened when Adam and Eve sinned, and, and that was everything around us became cursed. It's not raiding the glory of God the way it used to. I was speaking at a church in Kenya, and I talked about this, and I was being translated while I was translating. The guy was translating me in the Swahili. I walked outside, brought in a branch, and I said, you see this, you see this leaf here? This is not the way it's supposed to be. God did not design it this way. This is a result of the curse. Paul understood this. He says this in Romans chapter 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set from its bondage to what? Decay. Decay. Now, those of you who are 30 years of age and younger, you have no idea what this is talking about. But those of us who are older, we know our body is decaying. It gets old. Oh, my shoulder hurts. My back hurts. My foot. I've got plantar fasciitis. It's not fun getting old. Well, I'm in a state of decay. Creation knows it. And it wants to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Can you hear it groaning? No, I can't, but I believe the Apostle Paul, and I trust what he says, that those trees and those trees and that grass know something we don't know. It's in a state that's been cursed. So all of a sudden, we have three reasons why Christ came. Uh, he came to die for our sins. We've got that one down real well. We've sang about it already. We've, we've did a lot of things about it, but, but he came for all things on earth, and he came for all things in heaven. Huh. That's interesting, because I thought it was only about me. Well, we got to ask two questions. Question number one, is there any other reason why Christ came to the earth? And question number two, hmm, which one is primary? Which one is primary? Well, there's another reason why Christ came. Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 15. We read these words. For I tell you that Christ became a servant of the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that, uh-oh, uh-oh, purpose statement. Here's why Christ came. Here's why he's the servant of the Jews. Here's why he came to the earth. In order that, yes, Paul, what is it? In order that the Gentiles, what's a Gentile? Non-Jewish person. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Welcome to the Gentile club, okay? We're all Gentiles, I assume. We're all Gentiles. In order that the Gentiles, what, Paul? In order that the Gentiles might not go to hell. Is that what the text says? No, that's not what the text says. 
But what a perfect place for Paul to say it. Why didn't Paul say Christ came so that we don't have to go to hell? Great place to say it. <clears throat> it's not what he says. Why? I want to challenge you men and women. Christianity is not primarily about <coughs> avoiding hell. Christianity is not primarily about avoiding hell. But if you go to your friends and say, you don't want to go to hell, do you? You should ask Jesus into your heart. Guess what? Not the main motivation. Not the primary reason. That's not what Paul wrote about. What did Paul say? He said, in order that the Gentiles, what did I do, Tim? I did something. I drank the water. Do we get it? There we go. In order that the Gentiles may what? <coughs> Glorify God for his mercy. You and I were saved for a purpose. You and I were saved for a reason, that we might bring our Father glory. That's why we exist. That's why we're on this earth. You kids, you go to school, not to get good grades, but to bring your father glory. Oh, boy, that's a different motivation for school, isn't it? Woo, I thought it was all about getting good grades. Why? So I can get a good college. Why? So I get a good job. Why? So I can make lots of money and have a nice, safe, easy, soft, comfortable life. Wrong. No, no, no. It's for the glory of God. So now we've got four reasons why he came. Number one, he came to die for our sins. We know that. Number two, for all things on earth. Number three, for all things in heaven. And number two, four, for the glory of God. We ask the same question. What's the question we need to ask? Which one is primary? Where are we going to find our answer? Well, you'll probably find it in the one who died. His name, of course, was Jesus. And so... Probably something with Jesus that he said or did would help us to understand the answer to this question. Well, let's see what it says. In John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, let me give you the context here. Jesus is one day away from the cross. As he's one day away from the cross, he's with his disciples, and he's telling his disciples, guys, I don't want to do this. This is going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But it's the whole reason I came, so I've got to go through with it. And so he's talking to his disciples. He says these words, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. He's saying, I don't, I don't want to do it, but I've got to. He knew it was going to hurt. It's going to be extremely painful. Now he's one day away from the cross, and, and he says the next, in the next verse he says one word that really all theologians I've ever studied miss. But here's the one word he says. He says, Father. Father. Why is that so important? It's so important because he changed his audience. He changed his audience. He was speaking to his disciples. Now he's talking to his heavenly Father. Now, if you've got grandchildren, like Debbie and I do, we talk to our grandchildren a lot different than when we talk to each other, okay? Pretty simple. You talk to a grandchild the way you talk to little children. You talk to your spouse the way you talk to your spouse, all right? Now, I don't care if you're 120 years old. Compared to an eternal God, we're like little what? Children. We're like little children. So I want to challenge you. When Jesus says one thing to his disciples... If he says something different to his father, the one you're looking for is what he says to his father. 
That's the key. So he's here. He's one day away from the cross. Sorry, I just blanked that out. He's one day away from the cross. He's about to die one of the most agonizing deaths that can happen. It's so terrible that they internationally banned it or outlawed it. He's about to die one of the worst deaths any human can endure. He's talking to his heavenly father about it. Let me ask you a question. Okay, hold on to your chair. This is important. Thank you. Glad you're at least doing it. Appreciate that. You can come to all my talks, okay? Three weeks off. No, just kidding. Is he going to talk to his heavenly father about the primary reason he's going to go to the cross or a secondary reason? What do you think? He's about to die. One of the worst deaths. Primary. I would think so too. Good job. You get an A for the course. This is being graded. I hope Dennis, he gets an A. What's his name? I don't even know. Okay. What does he say? Father, save his kind, wonderful, worthy people from hell. They don't deserve it. That's not what he said. In fact, he didn't even mention us. <gasps> I thought it was all about us. He didn't even mention us. What does he say? Father, glorify thy name. Restore your glory to the plants. Restore your glory to the animals. Restore your glory to the fish. Restore your glory to the water, to the mountains. Restore your glory to the humans that they may once again glorify you. Oh, Father, glorify thy name. I want to challenge you, men and women, that the true primary reason why Christ went to the cross was to restore the glory of his Father to bring it back to be the central theme of life. We live to glorify God. That's what life is all about. We live to glorify God. Could it be that we as a church are still one degree off, one degree off, if we are, I want to challenge you that there are two totally different Christianities out there in the world. And I've traveled the world. I've spoken in Southeast Asia. I've been in China. I've been in Russia. I've been in Africa. I've been in South America. I want to challenge you that there are two totally different Christianities in the world today. They both carry the name Christianity. They both have a cross on their steeples, but they're very, very different. Two different Christianities. Now, if you want to be theologically, we call this God-centered theology versus a people-centered theology. In other words, is this about us or is this about God? Is this about God serving us or is this about us serving God? Those are two totally different Christianities. That's a nice theological way of saying it. If you want a very uh, people-centered versus God said, if you want a very simple way to remember this, I call it cat and dog theology. Cat and dog theology. Now, we have both dogs and cats. We've had them for years. Here's our, cat, here's our dog, Juju. Okay, Juju weighs in at six pounds. All right, she's not much at all. She's got a loud bark, but she loves her mommy and daddy. 
I mean, Debbie and I, when we're on the sofa, she jumps up. She wants to be with us. She actually smiles. Uh, how she does that as a dog, I don't know. Uh, but she smiles when you have the dog, when you have the little ball. She's just there. <laughs> going, just like, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. Throw. So we throw the ball. She grabs the ball, comes right back, just drops it right at Debbie's lap. Do it again, do it again, Mommy, do it again. And, and so she, she, she loves to be with us. She loves to play with us. Okay, now we've had cats before, Okay. Cats, uh, cats, as you know, are very, very different. Okay, we had a dog, Jasmine. When, when Jasmine. when Jasmine saw us drive up the driveway, she'd jump out of the doghouse. She'd run around in circles barking. She was so excited. I'd open the car door. She'd put her front paws up on the driver's seat. I'd scratch behind her ears. Her tail would go 1,000 miles an hour. I knew my dog loved me, just like Juju, okay? When I would walk into the house where the cat was, Nothing, exactly. Have you heard this talk before? No, just kidding. <laughs> Nothing. If the cat did anything, he'd look up me like, you just woke me from a nap. Or he would jump down and put his, rub his head up against my leg. That's his way of saying, I own you, pal. Get me some food. That's the only kind of a relationship that I have with my cat when we had the cat. Okay, but there is a, uh, there is a joke about the differences between cats and dogs. You all know the joke, right? A dog says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. You must be God. And a cat says the exact same thing. You pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. I must be God. Exactly. Cat Christians versus dog Christians. Dog Christian says this book is all about. Cats say this book is all about. Exactly. When a dog opens up the Bible, they ask one very simple question. What does God get out of this? What does God get out of this? What does God get out of saving me? What does God get out of me going to heaven? What does God get out of miracles? What does God get out of this? A cat reads the same Bible, but a cat is asking a different question. The cat is saying, what do, what do I get out of going to heaven? Oh, streets paved with gold. I get a mansion. This is great. What do I get when I'm saved? I don't have to go to hell. What do I get out of miracles? God's going to give me straight A's. I have no idea. And so cats are constantly saying, what's in this for me? Dogs are saying, what's in this for? Two totally different Christianities. Two totally different Christianities. Even with respect to salvation. Let me give you the difference between a cat and a dog with respect to salvation, okay? If hell is over there, and heaven is over there, here's how a cat gets to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. No, I don't want to go to hell. No, no. So they invite Christ into their life. They say a prayer. They add faith to it, and they say, praise God, I'm not going to hell. And the whole time, who are they focused on? Themselves. Very good, Layla. They were focused on themselves. That's right. Christianity focused on ourselves. 
Asking a simple question, what can I get out of this? What are the benefits for me? God is here to serve me. A dog gets to heaven very differently. A dog is walking toward heaven. Hell is behind them. They're not even worried about hell. They found someone who's so beautiful, who's so amazing, who's so incredible that they're saying, I've fallen in love with this God. I want him. And the focus is on God. The focus is on God. Dogs have joy. Cats have relief. Whew. Praise the Lord, I'm not going to hell. I prayed the prayer. I'm good. Thank you very much. Dogs have joy. Why? They found a treasure. And they love that treasure more than anything, and they're willing to sacrifice for that treasure because they know it's the treasure that's more beautiful than anything. I discovered this, sorry, I don't have the, the text here, but I discovered this in Revelation chapter four, verse eight. I'm gonna go there. Revelation chapter four, verse eight. We have four living creatures, four living creatures surrounding the throne of God. And as these four living creatures are surrounding the throne of God, we read these words. You're welcome to turn there, but I'm gonna read it anyhow. Revelation chapter four, verse eight, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, eyes all around them within, day and night, they never cease to, cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Revelation chapter four, verse eight. When I see these four living creatures, I ask myself two questions. Question number one is this. Do you think they have free will? These are four living creatures who are around the throne of God 24-7, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Do they have free will? There are two possible answers, yes or no. All right? And a question a dog always asks is, what does God get out of it, right? So let's, let's say no. What does God get out of it if they do not have free will? What does that do to God's reputation, to God's glory? Tell me. Narcissistic, very good. What else? Diminishes his glory. Why? He's making robots. He's making robots, and they'd rather be fishing. They'd rather be playing video games, but they're forced to worship God. It doesn't make God look very good, does it? Let's assume they do have a free will. How does it make God look? Very important. Not only important, what? Glorious, not just worthy, but what? Why do they not want to leave? Because nothing else what? Nothing else matters and nothing else satisfies their soul. Nothing else satisfies their soul. Video games doesn't satisfy their soul more. Pornography doesn't satisfy their soul more. Shopping doesn't satisfy their soul more. No, the glory of God has so captivated them. I want to be in his presence 24-7. Humans, who are they? Never heard of them. Because I'm around the glory of God. Now, I said I asked two questions. Number one, do they have free will? What do we learn from that? It is the glory of God primarily that's going to satisfy your soul. More than money, more than riches, more than power, more than esteem. 
the glory of God. Second question is this. It says there are four living creatures, living creatures. Are they, uh, do you think they have blood flowing through their wings the way we have blood flowing through our arms? Yes or no? I think so. Yeah. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is Lord God. Do they stop for breakfast? Yes or no? No. Do they stop for lunch? Do they take a tea break? No. What does it tell you about the glory of God? It satisfies what? The very cells of our body. Men and women, this is why you and I need to have quiet times and be in God's presence. He wants to satisfy not only our souls, but our physical bodies as well. It is the glory of God that is foundational to everything because it satisfies like nothing else. Getting the idea here? Let's go back to cat and dog. I want, you, I want you to see how a cat thinks. This is the audience participation time, okay? I'm going to say something you need to fill in the blank. Here's how a cat thinks. How does a cat get to where it's thinking that it's all about them, okay? Help me out here. A cat thinks this. Um, Jesus came to the earth for? He suffered for? He died for? He's building a mansion for? He's coming back a second time for? Gee. I wonder who he lives for. He must live for me. me. Yeah. And guess what? Ephesians 5.1 says, therefore be imitators of God. So Dennis, if God lives for me, guess who I'm going to live for? Me. But I get it. He wants me to do it in a Christian context. I'm supposed to come to church. Maybe I'll play in the band. I'll help the nursery. But deep down inside, Dennis, I'm doing all this for me. I'm doing all this for me. Why? Because if I do that, God is going to bless me. And I want the blessings more than I want God. I don't really want God. I just want his blessings. Lord, I'll keep doing these things so that you will bless me. Dog says, cat, you missed it. You missed it. Jesus came to the earth for the glory of the Father. He suffered for the glory of the Father. He died for the glory of the Father. He's building a mansion for the glory of the Father. And he's coming back a second time to glorify the Father. If I'm supposed to imitate God, I realize that everything I do is for the glory of God. Let me, let me go over extreme cat and dog theology for you. A stream, okay? A cat looks at the cross and says, what I've learned from the cross is that Jesus suffered for me. What do I get out of that? I get it. He must not want me to suffer. Dennis, don't ask me to do anything hard. Don't ask me to sacrifice for missions. Don't ask me to do anything like that because God loves me. He died for me. He doesn't want me to suffer. Therefore, Dennis, don't you dare ask me to do anything hard. You keep entertaining me. I'll be happy. I'll keep coming. But don't ask me to suffer. Why? Because Jesus loves me. He died for me. A dog looks at the cross and says, no, no, no. What I learned is that Jesus suffered for the glory of the Father. Therefore, he's left me an example I should be willing to for the glory of the Father. Cats, never going to suffer, baby. I'm in. I prayed the prayer. I'm good. Now it's all about how God wants to bless me. A dog says, 
whatever it takes for your glory to go to the ends of the earth. I give my life to that. Two totally different Christianities. Two totally different Christianities. Okay? That's what we're here to talk about. So I'm going to do something very radical. You're never going to invite me back. That's okay. I want you to get together with whoever you're with, two, three, four people, and say, hey, what do cat worship songs look like? What do dog worship songs look like? You're only going to get about two minutes, and then I'm going to ask for some feedback. Feedback. I know you're not used to this. This is Sunday morning. I'm breaking all the rules, just like Peter did. Okay. What's cat song worship look like? What does a dog song worship look like? I need some feedback. <clears throat> I need to be very loud because I don't have a microphone for you. What do cat songs look like? Amazing grace. Why that? Okay. What he's done for me. That's one way of looking at it. There's no right or wrong answers to this. Okay. Uh, amazing grace. What it's done for me. Very, so cat songs are focused on me. Good. Any other thing? Yes. Yeah, over here, let me get, raise your hand so I can call you out. I'm sorry? Uh, above all, okay, I don't want specific songs. Keep talking. Above all, uh, you know, I'm like a rose trampled on the ground. He took the fall and thought of me above all. Okay, I'm sorry, that's not a theologically correct song. Okay, he did not think about us above all. John 12, 27, 28, he thought about the Father's glory above all. So yes, very good. There are songs that are, can be very focused on us that they can actually be incorrect theologically. That when you're listening to worship songs, you need to look at the words and say, is this about God or is this about us? I was in church last Sunday at our own church, the church that we go to, and the first words were, who am I that the God of all the earth should care to know my name. I'm thought, okay, who's this song about here? We're singing about ourselves in a Christian context. Absolutely, that's what we were doing. Okay, dog songs. Give me, what are dog songs about? Raise your hand, someone. Yes, young lady. Okay, other people. Very good. Dog songs are about other people, about what God's doing for others. Yes. He is exalted. It's about who he is, his character, his glory. Wonderful dog songs that were focused on God. We're actually worshiping God, not ourselves. Yeah, it's amazing how that works, isn't it? We can be worshiping ourselves in a Christian context. Oh, okay. Next one, small groups. Okay. What does the clicker do when you don't click on it? Tim, give us the next one, please. There you go. What's cat church look like? What's a dog church look like? Ooh. Now, you were very lively in the first question, and now you're very quiet on this one. Go to your small groups. Get two minutes. People in the back row never want to be called upon. That's why they sit in the back row. So I'm coming back to the back row. What's a cat church look like? Somebody here in the back row. They turn on the TV on Sunday morning. Why? Oh, turn them on and you'll see plenty of them. Yeah, okay, good. What else? What characterizes the cat church? Yeah. When you come in, you're looking for what you can get out of it. Good, good, yes. Strobe lights, distractions. We're moving past the back row. They trivialize, trivialize the sacraments. Good, yes. 
Cat church could be focused on politics. Emotional manipulation absolutely can happen, yes? The sermon isn't too long. Why? Whoa, 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 whoa. And why? Why? So I'll be comfortable. Keep going. Keep going. So? So I will come back. And why does the pastor want him to come back? Money, because they want your tithe. Don't go, pastor, beyond 20 minutes like I'm doing. Why? Because then I'm not coming back. Well, then that's not job security for the pastor. All right, so got to keep them happy and preach cat sermons. A dog church. What's a dog church like? Yes. Uh, it brings conviction of sin. It's uncomfortable. Uncomfortable brings conviction of sin. Good. What else? Allows the outsider in. Oh, no, we don't allow gay people into our church, honey. Oh, no. Please. That would be wrong. Yes. Reverend but joyful. Good. What else? Yes. Please call We're in one right now. Amen, sister. Okay. Now let's get personal. What's cat marriage look like? What's a dog marriage look like? Let's not get to your small groups. We're running out of time. Give me some feedback. And don't elbow your husband. All right? Cat marriage. Or let's go with a cat marriage. What's the focus of a cat marriage? Each other. And what can you what? What can you do for me? Hey, spouse, you're supposed to make me happy. Happy. Dog marriage. What's the focus of a dog marriage? Glory of God. Uh-huh. And what's, what's a husband's main goal to his wife? Love and server, uh, kind of. You're almost there. Sacrifice, kind of there. Yeah, but I want you to see the glory of God and how I love you and treat you. That's my goal as a spouse. I want you to see the glory of God and how I treat you. Yeah, now's the time to put your arm around her, really. Massage that shoulder, you know, just do it a little bit. There you go. Okay, last one. Now let's really get personal. Cat and dog parenting. What, okay, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to, what are the four words of a cat parent? See if you can think of four words of a cat parent. There you go. It's over here. Make me look good or don't make me look bad. The goal of a cat parent is to make sure their children don't make them look bad because it's all about me. It's all about me. Don't make me look bad. Don't get pregnant out of wedlock. Don't do drugs. Don't get thrown in jail. That'll really make me look bad, especially if I'm an elder of the church. Okay? Especially if I'm a pastor's kid. I mean, boy, you are just done, kid. Don't ever make your dad look bad. All right? What's the goal of a dog parent? Four words. Make God look good. That's absolutely it. Live for the glory of God. Oh, that's five, whatever. Make God look good. Yeah, make God look good. I don't care what you choose to do in life, but do it for the 
glory of God. Do whatever you want. Just do it for the glory of God. Do it for the glory of God. You've got the freedom. Seek God. Do what you want, but do it for the glory of God. We could go on and on. Cat and dog theology applies to every area of life. We can go over cat and dog marketplace. Cat and dog students. Cat and dog driving. Cat and dog dress. Cat, it applies to every area of life because we're asking a simple question. Is this for me or is this for God? Two totally different Christianities. But I want to challenge you. I do believe the church has been one degree off. I see it all over the globe, men and women. I see it in the, in the Indonesian churches, big, huge revival posters, and in the very bottom it says, Muslims not welcome. Why? Because if Muslims come, other Muslims will destroy their church. And so they say Muslims not welcome. So on and on and on it goes. All over the globe I see it. I hope and trust you have been pricked somehow in your spirit to live for a greater way for the glory of God. Hey, if you want more information or you want more, I, I did a whole website on this, a YouTube channel. Uh, it's called Maturing the Bride. Maturing the Bride. Uh, it is uh, the QR code is on the back of these cards that are now on the ground uh, that you can go, just grab it, take your phone, go to the QR code. You can go. There's tons of material on there. Uh, I have a very simple proposition about this book, this book, the Bible. I say, you know what? It's really quite easy to understand. Matthew 22, verse 2, the kingdom of God is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. This book is all about God is looking for a bride for his son. And it's a very simple question. Does he want a mature bride or does he want an immature bride? He obviously wants a mature bride. That's why Paul says, Colossians 1.28, I work, I strive that I might present everyone mature in Christ. The primary goal of this book is not to pray a prayer. Primary book of this goal of this book is to mature as a Christian. So you can get that on the YouTube channel if you are interested. There are two books out there. My granddaughter, Layla, is going to be running the book table. You can go back there with your with your Mimi. And Kezi, you can go with Mimi. Layla is going to be running that book table. If you are at all interested, we have three books back there for you. One degree off theology. Uh, which just uh, encapsulates everything I've talked about and a whole lot more. Or you can go into cat and dog theology, which is also a very simple understanding of what I just talked about. And then for kids, a cartoon book uh, for kids, 101 Differences Between Cats and Dogs for Kids, for Grandchildren and Children. Uh, in this book, various... Oh, you love it. Thank you so much. Uh, 100 Everyday Scenarios, such as a cat and dog is asked to take out the trash. What does a cat say when a cat's asked to take out the trash? mommy it's too heavy I can't do it I did it last time and a dog says yes ma'am okay this book is worth $1,000 all right but uh, I've told my granddaughter any donation you want if you can't afford it and you want it for free just tell her she'll give it to you for free we're not here to change make money we are here to change lives so those books are back there as well and Dennis I think I'm done so I was never told who to turn it over to.
And hopefully you're not. <laughs> Thank you all for having me.